Inside Motorsport. This week, we look back at the six-hour at Bathurst. I hope you'll stay with us. Richard Kraus joins us on the line. And, Crayley, what a weekend. Uh, I heard you say in the commentary, doesn't matter what you put on at Mount Panorama, somehow it works out that in the last hour, 45 minutes, you just get an absolute blinder of a finish. Yep, g'day, Craig. You're right. Um, one day we're going to go to that place and we're going to get an ordinary motor race, which they happen every now and then. It's like an ordinary football game when someone wins by 60 points. They do happen. One day we're going to get that at Bathurst and we're all going to go home feeling very disappointed because over the last, I don't know, 10 years, I can't remember leaving that place from a major endurance race there going, well, that wasn't something quite extraordinary. Um, be it the 12-hour this year or be it last year's dramatic events in the 1,000 and now the high-tech all is back to six-hour and another incredible Bathurst finish. Um, it's just the nature of the place and the way the racing works out there... Um, just delivers this remarkable motor racing. So, yeah, from my point of view, bring on more of that because it's uh, it's pretty magic to be involved in. Second year of the six hour, sixty four cars off the start line, a, a remarkable a remarkable effort, a remarkable increase in field, and it just shows that production car racing at Bathurst it goes goes together like uh, cookies and cream or any of the other combinations you'd want to throw out there. Yeah, well, it, it was a it was a, a mark that that was in the back of our minds going into the race, and I went and dug up some stats about the previous biggest fields, and, and I actually thought it would be larger than that. But um, as it turns out, sixty four was the the largest, or sixty three was the largest number of starters, actual starters of a race. More people tried to qualify, um, more people qualified, but actually taking the green flag or the green light or whatever it was in the day. Um, 63 was the number, um, and that was achieved three times. Off the top of my head, it was 73, 78, and the 84 uh, James Hardy 1000. So um, sort of had that in the back of our mind, and we rocked in with 66 entries. We lost one, um, or we lost two in the lead-up to the event. So we had 64 at um, first practice on Friday morning, and through all the dramas and the crashes and mechanical woes and things like that, we still managed to get... 60 cars, um, 64 cars through to the start of the race. And poor old Aaron McGill only managed to lap on Sunday in his Evo, but he started the race and he DNF'd after one lap. So we had 64 starters. So it's amazing that um, in 2017 you'd be breaking a record that was first set back in 1964. So um, pretty remarkable stuff. But, yeah, great side. And, and there's a lot of people, vocal people at least, clamouring for the days of those massive Bathurst grids. Um, I get the appeal of that. I'm, I'm not that much of a traditionalist, and I, I thoroughly enjoy the 1,000 and have no problems with that, but I get the appeal to having an enormous field like that, and it was a pretty special sight to see them gridded up all the way up, basically to pit entry on the bottom of Conrad Strait on Sunday morning. I guess one of the things that people do love is they love class racing, and here we see speed disparity, which always makes for an, an interesting challenge for the fast cars to get through the slow cars, but you have relatable cars in this sort of racing that people, well, they don't drive them around the streets at home or they don't have them in their garage, but they've got something that's mm. very, very similar. And unlike the uh, 
the 12 hour perhaps is affordable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I made the point in commentary on Sunday when Chas Mostert was out in front doing amazing things in that little Ford Focus RS. And this is a $50,000 hot hatch. Yes, they've spent more money on it to tune it up to be a, a, a racing car. Most of that spend is on the safety stuff involved. It's expensive to put a roll cage in, but you cannot ignore that. You've got to do it. Um, outside that, there's not a huge amount of performance enhancement outside of the road car. So there was Chaz in this focus carving up a you know, a $90,000 BMW and racing with a 150k BMW M4 amongst everything else on that grid. Um, and, and I was sitting there going, I mean, how is Ford not involved in this? How, how is this not a good thing to promote their brand um, and show what their little $50,000 hot hatch can do? Because it's absolutely relevant to, um, to road car sales. So it really is going back to the old win on Sunday um, sell on Monday mentality. We all know that that doesn't, that's not really a thing anymore. But from an advertising and marketing point of view, it was pretty emphatic to show how good the little Focus RS was. Um, at the same time, BMW certainly showed the capacities of that M4. So, but, but what I think it will do is similar to what the 12 hour has achieved is it'll give manufacturers that don't have either the opportunity or the budget to get into supercar racing, it'll give them a shot. So a small importer who might not be able to afford the several millions it takes to go into supercars, I mean, this might be their opportunity. Partner up with the team, chuck a couple hundred grand at it and go and win Bathurst and show what your road car is capable of doing. And that might be where the future of this race lies, is encouraging brands like that to get out and and get involved. Mm. If we concentrate on Group A and in the last four minutes, the number one car, which looked... Very, very uh, settled with Nathan Morecambe and Chas Mostert were leading the way. But then uh, disaster struck, if if you want to call uh, a gearbox problem a disaster. And uh, here came the BMW, Luke Searle, who uh, he's been around. He still looks like quite a young guy, but I remember him 20-odd years ago racing in uh, various yeah. forms in, in Australia. And, of course, uh, most people know the dude, Paul Morris. And then you had that... Very, very quiet man from Bowerall in the background, Barry Graham, who was listed on the driving sheet, and I don't know if he turned a lap. No, he didn't. Um, and I, I, the reasons, I believe, are that he he elected to step out of the car. So he's also Luke Sell's father-in-law, so there's some, some vested interest in there as well. Um, yeah, I, I, the strategy just works better with two drivers in that race, just the way you play play the race out with two of them, and, and Paul Morris knows that he's a strategic theory. Um, it was a great fight, and, and look, Luke Searle, I mean, drove the race of his life, and um, he was still buzzing an hour and a half after the race had finished about what had occurred. Um, and yes, Mostert um, lost fifth and sixth gear, so ran out of straight line speed, not that they had a huge amount anyway. Um, but at the same point, chasing him down, Luke Searle lapped faster than he qualified, um, and he qualified second. So he did a 25-8 in the closing stages of the race, chasing down Mostert, who was also doing qualifying pace in the lead of the race. So he was going at the same speed as one of the bright young talents in supercar racing at the moment. So it was an enormous drive. Um, had Woody have passed Chaz and won the race, had it not lost fifth and sixth gear? Probably not. I think that's a reasonable comment. But he sure applied the pressure, and he just, like you've got to do at Bathurst, you've just got to stay within touch to give yourself a shot. And the nature of that place is that it's very, very likely that you'll get that opportunity one way or another. And that's certainly what they did. It was a really good drive. I just 
we cannot say enough about the the pressure that Luke Stirl put on, mistake free against a professional racing car driver at the end of that race. It was um, it was a really good story for Paul Morris. He's got the triple crown of the twelve hour and also the six hour along with the Bathurst one thousand. I was trying to think, and I think Garth Tander would be the only current driver who could possibly take uh, uh, the Quinella and take out all the four major races that have been there with the 24-hour race thrown in because uh, I'm pretty sure he won that in the Camaro year, uh, in the, uh, the Monaro. Monaro years ago. Yeah, yeah. Would well, it be he or uh, or Stephen Richards? I would have thought would be the, the two. Possibly uh, Jason Bright could be another one. Um, so they'd obviously need to do the they'd need to do the twelve hour and, and have a crack at that and win it and then do the six. So uh, the dude is the dude is the man. Um, he's the first one to win three Bathurst majors and probably more relevantly, the first one to win the three current races that are on the program because the twenty four hour obviously only ran for two years in oh two and oh three. So the the pool of drivers who did that is pretty small, as you said. Um, it's a great achievement. It's an enormous achievement. And and remember, this is a guy that had had a Bathurst win stripped cruelly from him in 2000 and, uh, 1997 when Craig Baird, through the, you know, the, whatever the, the reasons were at the end of the day, went over his minimum driving time and uh, maximum driving time and they lost the Super Touring Race in 97 to their teammates. So, um, you know, he's got a lot of history at that place and, and he was just over the moon on Sunday night and um, he was sitting with John Bow at the end of the day who's... Um, probably another contender for that crown at some point in the future, you'd think. Um, and JB said, oh, you've just won the triple crown, well done. And, and it, it was absolutely true, and it's a great story, another great story from the day for Lisbon. Blake Sale, race of your life? Yeah, it was fantastic, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know where that, that little Ford found its leg at the end there, but yeah, Chad and Chaz was driving the wheels off it. Uh, we were driving the wheels off. I don't know what lap times we were punching out there. Someone said it was in the 25s. So that's... Yeah, wow. You uh, went, I have no words. You went faster than you qualified on the second to last lap, I think, of the race. Oh, was it? I had to get him. Oh, I was putting it all in the line. I had to get him. Um, I, I didn't want to... I wanted Paul to get the, tri- the triple. He's got the three now, which is great. It's always my mind. I've got to give him the triple. Give him the triple. And then we did it. So, what, yeah, stoked. What was going through your mind in that closing stages and when you saw that opportunity to get up the inside of the chase? Nothing. <laughs> well, I was up the inside of it and I started looking around for yellow flags, you know. It was, that was too easy, you know. Looking around for yellow flags, I mean, this is going to be a legal pass, you know, but, yeah, he lost six gear or something, so that's a shame. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll take it. We're happy. We're, we're, we're ecstatic. We, my father-in-law built an awesome car, Barry. Um, didn't drive with us. Paul was phenomenal uh, in the middle. Stinton did a foot wrong. Um, just a privilege to deal with him. <laughs> I can't say anything you guys have been around for a long time, super touring and then through into production cars. I mean, is this the biggest thing in your racing career? I'd say so. That's, to win a Bathurst is pinnacle in anyone's career, you know what I mean? Be it this race or another Bathurst race. Bathurst is just phenomenal. Um, until you've done a, a lap like we're doing at the end there, um, yeah, you, you know what it's all about, you know? So, yeah, stoked. And to do it with Paul is a dream come true. It's been an idol of mine since I was a kid. So it's a real, real, real thrill. Amazing drive, mate. Well done. Thanks a lot. Paul, you're the first to win three major Bathurst Enduros. No one had ever won the 24, the 12 and the 1,000. So you're the first. Yep. Um, tell me about that. That's a pretty big monster. Yeah. Um, as we were flying down in the chopper, me and Ben, I were talking about it. And thought, yeah, it could happen. So uh, it was in the back of my mind for sure. It's a pretty cool feeling to be able to do that. Um, and to do it with Luke is, is pretty cool. I've been friends with their family a, a long time. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I rate him as, as probably one of the best drivers that 
Australia's ever had, but he's just slipped through the net, you know, he's put him in a GT car, put him in any car and, and, and he just goes, so um, he was definitely the right man to have on the job at, at the end of the race for sure. It's a strange old day strategy-wise and the safety cars early on looked like it made making the right call a really difficult one and then the second half of the race was quite fast and open and flowing. Yeah, look, with the you know, socialist rules where you have to do two-minute stops and everything, it, it's, there's not much window of opportunity to, to use your brain, but there, there was a little bit there on driver time because uh, you know they didn't count the outlap as a driver as driver time, so we, we milked that right to the end. That was where we saw a gap, and then we took a pit stop. Um, you know, We took one where we really didn't need to right at the end just to get us the fuel window to open up to the end, and I thought that was a winning stop, and then when... Um, Chaz and, and Nathan jumped on our strategy. They picked up what we were doing and they covered us off and I knew it would just be us two towards the end then. Now, what about the other classes? Because you're 64 starters, but there was a remarkable number of finishes by uh, the end of the day. Yeah, there was. So 50 cars actually finished the race. So only 14 DNS, which isn't a bad percentage when you come to think of it with um, the number of, you know, the potential for drama to unfold there. Um, there, was, there was some really interesting stories throughout the day. What struck me was that the... The Toyota 86s were really impressive and because they could do the race on three pit stops and we had so much safety car at the start of the race, um, you know, we, we were having moments after safety cars in hour four where those cars were in the top five because they just completed less pit stops and, and they were they were there legitimately as everyone else fitted around them and the safety cars kept them on the lead lap for a long way into that race. So... They perform brilliantly, really good job. Um, the other drive that I think requires a tip of the hat is, is Todd Hazelwood and Rob Rubis in the BMW 130i. Um, Todd qualified that car. He'd never raced a production car before. Um, he's in great touch at the moment, obviously winning supercar, um, Super 2 races regularly now. Um, he qualified that car in a 2.35, which um, wasn't that far off the pole time for a little BMW four-cylinder non-turbo uh, hatchback running in Class C, but what was more importantly, or more impressive, was that it was about three and a half seconds faster than that car had ever gone around Mount Panorama. So, man, he can he can drive, and um, that was particularly impressive. And they were rewarded with a, a Class C victory too. Well, Richard, it's always a great pleasure to catch up with you here on Inside Motorsport, and uh, I know the motor racing for you doesn't stop with Phillip Island this weekend. Yep, busy time, but uh, not a bad job when you can go from Sandown, the Shannon's Nationals once, then to Bathurst, for Easter Bathurst, and then to Phillip Island. So three of the great racetracks in our country three weeks in a row. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. Indeed it is. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Motorsport. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.